Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, our feature today is going to be about billionaires and why they're obsessed with population control. Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about uh, the specific billionaires, how much they're funding, and where exactly it's going. If you want an episode that talks about that more, uh, I want to refer you to our episode 19, The Overpopulation Obsession, uh, on March 3, 2017, where we really detail specific billionaires and where they're giving their money. I'm going to touch on a few today. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand that the, these billionaires are not really obsessed with abortion per se, but really population control. Abortion to them is just one means to an end. And I'm going to give you really what I think is uh, why these billionaires do it. So it's really my personal opinion. I think anybody can take a look at everything and you know reach their own conclusion. But I'm going to give you kind of my thoughts about why so many popular billionaires uh, these days, they all seem to be obsessed with this population control to an extreme degree. And let's start with an extreme billionaire real quick. Uh, I'm going to run through just a couple. Uh, Ted Turner, who can give us, uh, we can thank for giving us CNN. Um, he really highlighted his views that, you know, he really did believe in population control. He said, overpopulation is, quote, the single most important issue facing mankind today. Unquote. Uh, he's called for a global one-child policy, not just in China, but in America and everywhere. Warren Buffett is a huge funder of abortion uh, and some of the most controversial abortion topics. Uh, he funds the development of uh, manual hand pumps uh, that are used as cheap abortions in poor countries. This is a pump operated by hand. He's funded using malaria drugs as a cheap alternative option for chemical sterilization. He funded the clinical trials in the U.S. that brought the abortion pill here. Uh, he's funded Planned Parenthood initiatives specifically to have clinics do more abortions. And how he kind of got into it, I think really his wife was a big believer. He's named uh, the foundation after his late wife, Bill Gates. Uh, you know, he's funded Planned Parenthood directly, not just, you know, you think contraception and family planning across the globe. He's funded the UN Population Fund, which has been complicit in coercive population control programs. You know, his dad served on the board uh, of a local Planned Parenthood. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the local kind of office or state affiliate, but, you know, that's how he got into it. George Soros, you know, kind of the big hedge fund manager that is kind of the funder of all these sorts of left-wing causes all over the globe. Um, you know, very involved. His daughter-in-law was a board member on Planned Parenthood. The Ford Foundation, that's every Michigander should, you know, know that's Henry Ford and his son Edsel. And uh, the Ford Foundation is heavily into population control. Uh, former Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richards um, I don't know if she's still on there, but she was serving at one point on their board of trustees. If you own an HP printer, uh, both the David and Lucille Packard Foundation and the Hewlett Foundation, big into population control. Uh, you look at a study 
that's kind of promoting abortion, saying, oh, abortion is safe or abortion is great, and almost 100% of the time you're either going to see the the Packard Foundation or the Hewlett Foundation funding that study. Um, even kind of lesser known uh, billionaires, you think about the Heinz family, uh, you know, Teresa Heinz Carey, uh, the wife of John Carey, uh, Teresa's daughter-in-law served on Planned Parenthood's board. You know, the list can go on and on and on. And I think we need to start with, you know, why are all these billionaires so into it is that uh, population control is a very powerful idea. It's a very old idea, too. This isn't just something that was thought up at some sort of conference, you know, in 1910. Uh, This was something that has been an obsession of incredibly smart people for a very long time. I mean, look no farther than Plato. Plato thought that Greece was being overpopulated and that city-states needed to exercise uh, very rigorous population control. You can read Plato's Republic. Um, You know, he thought this class of guardians had to guide society and that included limiting population and who could have births. Now, you know, a key difference between Plato's idea and, and today is, you know, Plato thought that those guardians should renounce material ownership uh, because they would be too tempted if they owned, you know, things to benefit personally. And some people, we'll get into in a minute, would, would argue that some of these billionaires are benefiting directly from these sort of population control uh, programs. Kind of the, the real starter of the modern overpopulation obsession was Thomas Malthus, who was... Uh, Actually, a you know a religious cleric, uh, an early economist, he wrote a book in seventeen or an essay uh, in seventeen ninety eight detailing his ideas on overpopulation, and his observation was that population can grow uh, exponentially, but food production uh, can only grow geometrically, and that at some point the population was going to outstrip the ability to feed it. And for him, this was sort of a mathematical certainty. And I think really Thomas Malthus gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, you know, like a, a modern, like a Margaret Sanger, you know, he wasn't really making claims about how terrible poor people are and how they're going to keep spreading uh, their bad genes around. Um, he, he was just really obsessed with this idea that this is a mathematical fact and, you know, we have to do something. If we don't, then we're going to have wars and starvation and we don't want that. Maybe we convince people to marry later or be chaste, and we won't have as many kids. Um, his real, I don't want to call it a crime, but his real downfall was a lack of imagination, especially as an economist. He didn't foresee the Industrial Revolution that was unfolding all around him, or the, later on the Green Revolution uh, and agricultural production. For him, it was just the idea that this mathematics, that population grows exponentially, but uh, food production grows slower. Uh, Geometrically, he thought it was inevitable. And he was obviously wrong because we're all still here and eating more than we could possibly consume. Uh, Now, he would actually use this argument not as a sort of utopian... Uh, control scheme, but he would actually use this as an argument against some of the thinkers of the day who thought that society could be perfected, that man could be improved, that we could build a utopia and save 
humanity. He thought this was so mathematically true that any project to try to improve society would run up like a wall against it. Um, but even though his argument, he used this as an argument against utopianism, I mean, it's just such a powerful idea. And if you want to think of Plato as a sort of, you know, utopian thinker with Plato's Republic, um, it's just such a powerful, powerful idea. And it's just seized the mind of so many thinkers, even many of whom would disagree with Malthus that uh, society and say that society can be per uh, perfected and we shouldn't be so pessimistic. Um, and, they, and some of them actually use this overpopulation idea almost as a centerpiece of their plan to perfect society. And why is that? You know, I think really this idea is so tempting in terms of the power that it allows. You know, it really appeals to that sort of utopian thinking, which kind of always at its core is, you know, we can control society if we just tell people what to do the right way, then we can all live in this utopian society. Um, you know, what could be more fundamental control than who is allowed to be born in a society and who isn't? How that society works would be radically changed if you could control that. And so it's just power that's too tempting and it too easily fits into all these other uh, agendas and stereotypes. So just as a modern example, um, you know, think of Paul Ehrlich's 1968 bestseller, The Population Bomb, which predicted we'd all be starving by now. Didn't come true. Paul Ehrlich still believes overpopulation is a concern. Um, and this has kind of shifted into environmental issues. You think about, you know, like scares with peak oil or climate change today. Um, when I was a kid, there was more ecological issues like um, acid rain and groundwater pollution. Um, and some of these are all problems in their own way and their own their issues, but really it's this idea is kind of like a meme, and I don't mean a meme in terms of a funny picture with text online um, that gets shared ridiculously. Uh, I, I, hey, I send a lot of memes myself, but uh, a meme is really kind of like, think of an idea as a virus, and this idea is just so persuasive or powerful or new that it just kind of infects and spreads. Um, and that idea meme, I think, really kind of explains this whole overpopulation thing that almost seems to just spread like a virus and just take over the host once it kind of gets into someone's brain. It's so hard to talk someone out of this, as we'll kind of detail in a minute. So modern overpopulation really and the eugenics movement that kind of fits into it I think we have to really look at Margaret Sanger as a as a key in all this and I'll explain in a minute where she kind of fits in um, Margaret Sanger's idea was not necessarily um, that you know overpopulation would be bad for the globe because we couldn't feed ourselves but her concern was the poor people were out reproducing the rich people and that uh, poor people were poor because of bad genetics, and they were destined to be poor. Uh, that's why she hyperbolically said that the most compassionate thing a large family could do to one of their newborns is to kill it, because she thought growing up poor was the worst thing in the world, which a lot of people share that idea today. Um, and this sort of ugly eugenics idea that kind of took, uh, took ideas from 
Darwin from, uh, you know, early genetic studies, you know, it, just like a template, it fit perfectly into this overpopulation meme. And I want to talk about one billionaire really in particular. And I think this is where the key and everything sort of comes together. And we're going to talk about really, uh, he's the first billionaire, John D. Rockefeller. Now, um, John D. Rockefeller was not really into overpopulation at all. Um, but he taught his family that they, with all the money that they made, that they need to give back. He taught his family very well. And so his, his family, you know, the first billionaire family really kind of set this modern philanthropy idea <clears throat> with foundations and whatnot in practice. And it was John D. Rockefeller Jr., his son, um, really that made the first billionaire contribution to population control. Uh, let's talk about that. And surprise, surprise, who made that happen? It was Margaret Sanger. So this is a letter from some lawyer with the last name Fosdick who I've never heard of. Uh, he must be an important guy because he worked for a New York law firm. His office was in the Woolworth building. And he knew John D. Rockefeller Jr. So must have been an important guy. And I'm going to read this letter really quick. Dear Mr. Rockefeller, Recently we've had a number of requests in connection with projects dealing with birth control. The Committee on Maternal Health sent an appeal to the Rockefeller Foundation, which was referred to the Bureau of Social Hygiene, and Mrs. Margaret Sanger sent an appeal directly to the Bureau of Social Hygiene after a conference with me. Both these requests were referred to Dr. Davis, who has made quite a study of the situation, and I am venturing to submit her reports herewith. In addition to these reports, there's a vast accumulation of data, which Dr. Davis included with her reports, but which I am not bothering you with. Of course, this raises a very interesting question as to whether you could wisely contribute to movements of this kind. Personally, I believe that the problem of population constitutes one of the great perils of the future, and if something is not done along the lines that these people are suggesting, we shall hand down to our children a world in which the scramble for food and the means of subsistence will be far more bitter than anything we know at present. Scientists are pointing, hopefully, to such methods as Mrs. Sanger and her associates are advocating, and these two organizations are doing their best to disseminate knowledge of contraceptive practices as far as the present somewhat archaic law allows them to do. Personally, I should like to see you make the contributions that Dr. Davis recommends. However, I realize this is a delicate question which should be thoroughly considered very truly yours. So, as we see... Right there, uh, and that letter should see should seem so familiar to people these days. So Margaret Sanger knew this lawyer who knew John D. Rockefeller Jr. And this lawyer appealed to this billionaire. Said we have all this data and studies, and it's all new and great. And all these old archaic laws and practices are holding us back. And if we don't do this. People are going to starve, and it's going to be the end of the world. And I know this is a delicate, maybe controversial matter, but uh, you know we need to do this for the good of mankind. And that was how John D. Rockefeller Jr., the Rockefeller family, uh, <laughs> came from big families typically, uh, or, or historically, began funding Margaret Sanger's Birth Control League and how they got into it. 
and it just snowballed from there. Rockefeller III, John D. Rockefeller Jr.'s son, was the one that founded the Population Council in 1952. The Population Council, yes, that's the organization responsible for, uh, responsible for distributing every abortion pill in the United States of America today through a secret shell corporation called Danko Laboratories. The Population Council, the Rockefeller family, that's why... You know, the abortion pill is set in a few years to become the most common abortion procedure in the United States. That's a legacy of the Rockefeller family. And the largest distributor of the abortion pill, of course, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger's organization. Margaret Sanger was no dummy. Uh, after her first marriage ended, she uh, had a second marriage of convenience to James Noah Lee. What did James Noah Lee do? Well... Uh, the three-in-one oil business, uh, oil money. Um, Margaret Sanger's very good friend, Catherine McCormick, the McCormick family. Think maybe a lot of you would know the Chicago Tribune. But think, uh, for those of you who are farmers or familiar with agriculture, the International Harvester fortune. Uh, it was Catherine McCormick, friend of Margaret Sanger, that funded the birth control pill uh, development in you know, which... Be really entered the U.S. in 1960. Um, that was because Margaret Sanger was friends with a billionaire who had uh, sort of an interest in this issue. So that's really, I think, where this kind of quirk of history happened and where this set it all off. Now, other people have some other theories uh, on the left and the right. Um, some people might say that these, uh, these billionaires are terrified of foreigners overrunning the world with their teeming masses, uh, or that they're conducting a war on the poor, or it's some sort of just plain racial insecurity. Um, you know, perhaps that there's some of that in it. Uh, I'll talk in a little bit about just, you know, appealing to people's um, pre-existing stereotypes and how's that pl how that plays in. But, I mean, look at that letter. I don't think there was a code language in there. The lawyer's appeal to John D. Rockefeller was kids are going to starve if you don't do this. You know, Ted Turner is a crazy guy, but he really believed that overpopulation is the single most important issue facing mankind today. You know, Warren Buffett has a lot of money, but he just lives in a modest house in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, he's not in it to make even more money. These people, I think, really do believe they're out to save the world. And I think this is a great way to highlight this. Let's talk about two billionaires uh, who don't fund population control. Uh, Elon Musk. I don't need to introduce Elon Musk to you. Now, he's no dummy. Um, not only is he not involved in population control, as far as I know, but he has publicly said, hey, look at the birth rates plummeting in these countries. This is going to be an extremely serious problem. This is a population bomb, and we're all ignoring it. So Elon Musk is running in the other way. And he is, uh, he's, you know, he's from South Africa. South Africa has a, here, a history of racial issues. Elon Musk is a guy kind of on the left a little bit, um, or classical liberal, if you will. But, uh, you know, he's not going in on this. But, but what is Elon Musk's big thing? What is he kind of best known for these days? And that's SpaceX. Uh, SpaceX is great. Uh, he wants to, you know, go to Mars. That's great. 
But why does he want to go to Mars? He wants to go to space to save the human race. He literally believes if human beings don't spread off of Earth, we're going to become extinct. Elon Musk is in this to save the world. Think about Peter Thiel, who uh, more on the conservative or right side. Now, Peter Thiel is, uh, you know, is the guy, uh, PayPal, it's where he made his money. Um, he's more of a libertarian. He funds a lot of libertarian and conservative organizations. Um, as far as I know, he's not into population control at all. In fact, as a libertarian, he thinks it's pretty disgusting, I'm sure, that the idea that you can control who can and who can't have kids. But what is Peter Thiel's big philanthropic endeavor? Curing aging and living forever. Um, you know, saving the world by saving everyone's life. I think that there is something just about these billionaires and the amount of money that they make that inspires them to do this. And I think, you know, that all started with John Rockefeller as the first billionaire and his sense of duty to give. So uh, these are kind of my three points I want you to take away from this about why billionaires are so into population control. Number one, these billionaires, uh, a lot of them have... Uh, uh, a shame about the amount of money they have relative to others or uh, just a sense of duty to be charitable um, or uh, just a chance to be remembered and do something you know really big um, you know having a lot of money doesn't necessarily make one be remembered well um, a lot of people remember John Rockefeller because of all his money and standard oil but uh, a lot of them remember him too because of his philanthropy you know after a certain point, all that money that you make doesn't really satisfy. Uh, you know, you, you can only have, uh, you can pay $2,000 for a steak dinner, but it's not very different from a good $25 steak. That money can't do you much more personal good. So uh, once you've conquered that world, what's next? Here's an interesting quote, and uh, uh, you might have heard something like this from Die Hard, uh, but it, totally wrong. Uh, Alexander the Great, who tried to conquer the known world. Uh, Alexander, when he heard Anazarchus argue that there were infinite worlds, it was said that he wept. And when his friends asked him the thing that happened for him to be weeping, he said, it's, is it not to be wept for, since they say there are infinite worlds and we are not yet the lords of even one? You know, Alexander had a giant empire, wasn't enough. You know, you got to conquer the next world, you have to be lord of all, you have to be master of all. Uh, I think the idea of saving the world is powerful. It's a very powerful idea, and that's where a lot of billionaires uh, get attracted to it, either of their sense of duty or they just want to be remembered. Uh, if they don't, you know, think Peter Thiel is going to succeed in his quest to get everyone to live forever. Uh, another point is I don't think this is some sort of conspiracy. You know, uh, these billionaires meet together a lot. You know, you, you hear. Things about like the Bilderbergers or the Rothschilds, uh, the Trilateral Commissions and all, and all this stuff. I really don't think it's a conspiracy. Billionaires hang together because who else are they going to hang with? Um, there's a thing called sudden wealth syndrome. You know, people who come into a few million dollars uh, find themselves quickly, a lot of them find themselves to be lonely. They can't relate to their old friends and family who are not multimillionaires. Uh, they move into a big house in a nice neighborhood and all those people uh, don't like this new money person. They can't really relate to them. Um, it's lonely. Having a lot of money 
and who are you going to talk to and who are you going to relate with? So these people all meet together, you know. Peter Thiel meets with all these people. Elon Musk travels in these circles. They aren't in a population control. It's not a conspiracy. You know, this meme just gets into this group of people who are all networked together, who, thanks to John Rockefeller, all follow this philanthropic model. And it's just a it's just groupthink. Groupthink happens all the time. And then the third point, of course, is, you know, Margaret Sanger was kind of the one who captured the Rockefeller family. And she did that. Her pitch appealed to their pre-existing stereotypes. Um, so not just the fact that they want to be remembered, they want to save the world. Uh, you know, a lot of these uh, super rich people live in hyper-dense cities. Uh, you know, Buffett being an obvious uh, outlier living in Omaha. Um, so their experience is jam-packed cities that are way too crowded. Uh, all their rich friends don't generally have huge families. Um, they have probably more kids than a lot of families, but they don't have big families. Uh, there's some racial or foreign overtones to it. Um, it just seems right to them because this is what they see on an everyday. This is the circles that they travel in. Now, will this ever change? You know, when people start to realize, as more and more are, that the demographic bomb is going to explode in the next few decades? Are we going to see these billionaires, you know, shift gears? And is that going to be the next meme that captures their ideas? Maybe. Maybe Bill Gates will start plowing billions into paying for child tax credits to encourage people to have kids. But, you know, I think that really the meme of overpopulation and, and population control is just too powerful a temptation for them. You know, once it gets inside people's heads, it's extremely hard to ever get it out again. Look no further than China. China has the absolute ability to collect any def demographic info they want in their totalitarian society and direct people however they want. You know, they know that this population bomb is coming. You know, but they stayed wedded to this one-child policy for so long, even though they could see these birth numbers. You know, they really were true believers. And now that they are realizing, oh, man, this is a huge mistake and they're trying to relax it, you know, in the last four years, China, the births keep plummeting anyway. They've so indoctrinated their people into the idea, into believing this overpopulation myth that it's like a runaway freight train and they can't stop it now. So in conclusion, you know, my best guess, my personal opinion is that this was just a weird quirk of timing and history that Margaret Sanger just was able to beguile the world's first billionaire family into this destructive obsession and through them, through the way, the, you know, the world operates through this philanthropic idea, uh, you know, Margaret Sanger's idea, um, which is just, you know, another version of this overpopulation myth just captured people's minds, you know. And, it, and it's so ironic. The original John D. Rockefeller, the first, the one who made all the money, you know, he truly believed he had a duty to give to people, especially the poor. You know, he taught his family to do that. You know, make as much money as you can and give away as much as you can was his, you know, quintessentially modern American motto. You know, he defined modern philanthropy, foundations. You know, he did a ton of good. He came from a large family. He had a large family uh, himself by today's standards. You know, but and sadly, he couldn't, you know, predict that his children would fall under the sway of a madwoman armed with powerful pseudoscience and a persuasive personalities and an army of, 
you know, little scientists saying, you know, we're, we're going to back her up on this. It's, it's ironic. John D. Rockefeller was you know, a very religious guy, and Margaret Sanger hated religion because that, that left people having large families. So Rockefeller Sr. unwittingly built this infrastructure. Margaret Sanger got one heck of an in, and that's why I believe all these billionaires today who hobnob together are still serving Sanger's vision. And, you know, they truly believe, I think, that they are saving the world by eradicating the next generation. It's diabolical madness. That's what it is. What's the pro-life takeaway from all this? I think it's that, you know, history takes some very interesting twists and turns. And your work, no matter how small, matters. You never know how far a simple request or simple personal connection will go. Uh, you never know how that's going to be. People are going to take that ball and run with it and how far it can go. And I think we're going to have one great counterexample to that next week um, for our podcast. I'm going to talk about uh, Jane Muldoon, our former president who passed away on Saturday. And I think you'll just see that history takes some funny turns and a little ripple can become a huge wave. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a nice weekend, and we'll catch you again next week.